Political ad season is my least favorite, right next to monsoon season. It's disruptive and demoralizing. This year's election in particular has high stakes, but the campaign ads are taking the low road to gain our votes, complete with lies and misquotes. Do any of us even pay attention to these ads anymore? If not, what is the actual purpose of the political ad? Today on CityCast Las Vegas, we're going to talk about this with Steve Sibelius, the politics and government editor at the Las Vegas Review-Journal. It's Tuesday, October 25th, 2022. I'm Vogue Robinson, and this is CityCast Las Vegas. Steve Sibelius, welcome to CityCast Las Vegas. Thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So Nevada has one of the lowest voter turnouts in the country, yet I still can't watch my YouTube videos without being interrupted by political (laughs) ads left and right. At this point, they're like, they're pretty much an annoyance as opposed to being informative. What do you think is, is the purpose or the impact of a political ad? Yeah, you know, I was talking with somebody, a political consultant who worked here in Las Vegas at one point, uh, Mm. who no longer does, but he said something, and I've been thinking about it ever since. He said there are no more persuadable voters. Mm. And as a result of that, there are no more ads designed to persuade voters. All of the ads are designed to scare the base into voting and to depress the turnout on the other side. And so I think there's something to that. I think there's something to that because you don't see a lot of ads that are that are trying to make a case as much as denigrating mm-hmm. the person that, that they're running against. Very few biographical spots. It's mostly attack ads. And I think that's because of the fact that there are very few persuadable voters left. People have divided up. They, they are in their camps. And now it's just about turnout. And that's mm-hmm. what you're seeing with a lot of those ads. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, I've seen one or two biographical ones. And one of the ones I saw, I really loved because it was like the the candidate walking through the grocery store Mm. and talking about gas prices. And I was like, look at you appealing to my humanity. (laughs) This is lovely to watch because all the rest of them feel like monkeys throwing poo. (laughs) I feel like it is when I watch all the episodes. But why do you feel like there are a few persuadable voters? Because we're a swing state. Yeah, I think I think that is definitely true in in Nevada. If you look at the registration statistics, Democrats have outregistered Republicans in in Clark County and then statewide, not by as large a margin as they have in previous years, but still, you know, there are more Democrats active registered voters than active registered Republicans. Mm-hmm. So we know that's the case, but the margins of victory of those races are smaller even than the Democratic registration advantage, and they always have been. If you take out certain outlier elections, like President Obama in 2008, Mm -hmm. Brian Sandoval's re-election in 2014, most of the elections in Nevada are decided by margins ranging from about 12,000 votes on the low end to about 48,000 votes on the high end. And um, when you are talking about more than a million votes cast, that's not a very big margin. Hmm. And so I think all of these races that we're seeing are going to be very close. And I think the internal polling of candidates shows that they're going to be very close. And as a result of that, 
um, there, there needs to be something to drive up the turnout. And so airing ads, telling people that their opponent is a terrible person, why their opponent would be dangerous, take away your rights, do something like that. That is what we're seeing. And I think it's a direct result of the fact that these races are close. The polls show them close, public polls and internal polls for the campaigns. And so you're seeing that bubble up in these ads. And you're seeing that with the candidates. You know, there were many candidates who just didn't want to debate. Mm. And I think the part of the reason for that, they didn't want to debate because these races are so close. And one mistake can blow the whole campaign. And so they just didn't want to take the risk. And strategically, they said, yeah, we know we're going to get criticized for not turning out to these debates and not participating in these debates, but the risks outweigh any potential rewards. And so as a result of that, you saw mm. one one debate, congressional debate on Channel 8, and you saw one gubernatorial debate, and that was at the Nevada Independent yeah. at their annual festival. And that's it. There are other little events here and there, but no major debates. And that is a real disservice, I think, to voters. But it's a strategic decision by the campaigns based on the numbers that they're seeing. Wow. That sucks. That, that something that would be maybe they could be more transparent about what they think and feel in a long form, but instead we're getting these bites. We're getting <laughs> shorter things. Do you feel like ads are created just to help turnout? Yes, I think it's all about turnout. One of two things either to increase turnout among your voters or to depress turnout among the other side's voters. Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont once told me in an interview that the purpose of the negative ads wasn't just to um, convince you that the opponent was bad. Mm. It was to convince you that all the politicians were bad and that there was little point in turning out because your vote isn't going to make a difference. One is not so much better than the other. And mm. so what does it even matter? Now, at the same time, very cynically, the people who make these ads are working feverishly to turn out their own voters, but they think nothing of depressing overall turnout so that it makes it easier for them to win. And I think there's something to that. And so that's why uh, negative ads are also more memorable than positive ads. And so that's another reason you see a lot of them. But we've seen these ads this time around where a lot of them take liberties with the truth. Um, there were- um, I was just gonna know, ask you about that. In the US Senate race, uh, there have been a number of ads rated false or mostly false by PolitiFact. Uh, the RJ has a partnership with PolitiFact, so I see all these fact checks come across my desk. And um, I don't, uh, and I could be wrong, but I don't believe I have seen one that is 100% true in this cycle so far. Uh, so there's some liberties been taken with almost every every one of these ads. Mm -hmm. And we've seen ads that are straight up lies or misquotes, like the Lombardo ad where they presented a quote that was supposedly from a reporter from the RJ, but then it actually was someone from his campaign. Whose responsibility is it to make sure these ads are accurate? Yeah, that is, that is a good question. You know, we in the media do our best to fact check these ads. Like I said, the RJ has formed a partnership with PolitiFact and we are running all of their fact checks in our uh, congressional races and uh, and following those things pretty closely. Television, uh, when I uh, used to work at Channel 8 on the show Politics Now, we would do fact checks of ads just to you know double check everything and, and tell people what's true or false. But it's funny, you can do a fact check on a television show and it airs once 
a two, three minute segment that airs once on a show. That can't compete with 10,000 repetitions of the negative ad. Mm. You know, that will be overwhelmingly in people's minds. And very few people will have seen the fact check and realize that what they're being shown is not true. So it, it pays for the campaigns to advertise and and they can take liberties with the truth. Now, very rarely will you hear about a campaign that has written a letter, usually it's by their campaign attorney, to a television station saying this ad is demonstrably false. Here is the evidence that proves that and you should take it off the air. Very rarely will television stations do that. And one of the reasons is that these ads are very lucrative. And unless something clearly violates the law or violates standards, it'll keep running. And ads that shade the truth, ads that tell a portion of the truth, those are going to stay on the air, even when people object. And so the other side really has no choice but to air an ad of its own and try to counter the message in the first ad. And television stations make out like bandits on this. Um, <laughs> right. I was going to say, you said lucrative, but it's like it's lucrative on both sides. So yes, absolutely. And depending on when you reserve the ad time, it can be extremely lucrative. If you w- wait till the very end and, and there's even spots available left, you're going to be charged a premium for those spots. Mm. And I understand that is going on as we speak. So that that is definitely happening. So what are the, the laws and the standards for these ads? Like, do they have a, a checklist? Well, the basic standard is that they should be true. But it's a very amorphous standard, though, because you can shade something to be mostly true, as PolitiFact characterizes it, but it's not 100% true. It's not entirely accurate. You know, you've seen ads saying so-and-so wants to take away your rights uh, for uh, your health care rights uh, for abortion. Um, that can't really happen in the state of Nevada under the current state of the law. So it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be possible for a candidate, even if they were so inclined to do that. But that doesn't stop you from scaring people. You can accuse somebody of, of wanting to do something. And really it's difficult to disprove that, especially if the candidate has said that they're a pro-life candidate or they're, they're opposed to abortion rights at some level. So it's very difficult to overcome that, I think. And that's why you see all these ads, you know. Now, if you say Senator so-and-so voted for S3728, then that bill is terrible. And that senator did not vote for that. Well, then that's obviously false. And that's Mm -hmm. probably an ad that would be subject to being taken down if it was complained about. And provable. Yeah, for sure. Uh, My brother, he just moved here from Seattle. And he's like, you guys' ads are brutal. And I'm (laughs) thinking to myself... You can't even vote out here yet. He hasn't lived here long enough. Yeah. But like he'll be like costly Catherine Cortez mask style. Like he knows it. But it's also because it's alliterative. So I'm just like, look yeah. at there's this. Here's the literary devices. Here's the poetry in our political ads. What do you think are some of the most effective tactics that these ads use? You know, I have always thought that humor is a, an extremely effective tactic. Uh, people remember things that are funny. You remember you know, if you've gone to a comedy show, you remember some of the funniest lines that Chris mm. Rock or, or D.L. Hewley or Bill Maher has, has said. You remember yeah. that stuff. And so 
ads that are humorous, I think, get remembered. Zach Conine had an ad where the announcer was telling something, you know, warning people about Michelle Fiore. Michelle Fiore is under federal investigation for financial crimes as $1.2 million. And then he comes on and says, okay, okay scary, scary voice guy, guy. That's, that's true. true. But let's, let's talk, talk about, about our record and what we've done. And it was funny because it breaks the fourth wall and it makes fun of the genre of political ads, but it also gets a message across. So it hit on all cylinders, that one. So those are the, the, the funny ones that are, that are doing it. Some attempt to be funny, but they fail. Like in the primary for the treasurer, one of the Republican candidates dressed up as Michelle Fiore and ah. then tried to mimic one of her ads. I'm Michelle Fiore. I'm running for city council. I mean, governor, state treasurer. I'm sorry. I've ran for so many positions this year. And it was not effective. It didn't come across effectively um, at all, and it kind of fell flat. So if you're going to be funny, do it right and all that. So those those ads, I think, are are very memorable. Um, Ads that tell a story that, that sticks with you. I think this wasn't an ad. This was an event, but... During the run-up to the Affordable Care Act, there was an event that happened where the former Secretary of Health and Human Services was here, along with a couple of our local Congress members, and they brought these folks out who had experienced problems with the healthcare industry, and one of, one of whom, I still remember this to this day, hmm. was a little boy who'd had brain cancer and who'd fought brain cancer, and his insurance company paid the bills. But then they told him at one point, no, you've reached your lifetime limit. So we are not going to pay any longer. And under your policy, we can do that. And they shared the story with the audience. It was just a heartbreaking story. And it made the case so effectively for the passage of the Affordable Care Act. So an ad like that would be also, I think, very effective. After a while, a lot of the negative ads, I think, end up uh, just becoming background noise. You know, North Shore Steve targeting Governor Sisolak. Mm-hmm. That's you know that's a very complicated, nuanced issue, and the ad you know in thirty seconds can't even begin to do it justice. So they just hint vaguely it's it's corruption. There was the uh, attempt to do the three a.m. phone call ad that oh. Hillary, Hillary Clinton did in the in the two thousand eight campaign. Joe Lombardo tried to pull that off, and he did a great job up until the very end. It was ominous music and. Joe Lombardo hears the phone ring and he's going to pick up the phone and uh, there's an ad the corrupt Steve Sisolak on the TV behind him and the announcer's warning who do you want in charge when something really goes wrong and he picks up the phone and where they should have gone to ominous music and just you know watched him answering the phone they still stayed on his voice and he answers and says this is Joe and it just, the ad fell flat at that point. Uh, they had me up until then, but then the, this is Joe thing. It, it kind of crashed and burned out at, at that point. The overall no, point I, of the of the ad was still memorable. You know, mm-hmm. that Joe Lombardo has been through a lot of crises, including the one October shooting and, you know, would know what to do in a situation like that. But the this is Joe part could have and should have been left on the cutting room floor. Mm-hmm. See, you and I should be in charge of ads. Yeah. <laughs> We could design better ones. Do you think that ads are contributing to the polarization of voters? Yes, I definitely do. I definitely do. Because because there's so few persuadable voters and there's so few ads that aim to persuade voters, I think the, these ads are cementing, you know, the polarization. They're, they, you know, you'll call a Democrat a socialist, 
uh, you'll call a Republican uh, a, a right-wing nut or, or a Nazi or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and you have 30 seconds to get a message across and you want to tell your voters that this person is bad. So you're going to characterize them in the worst possible way in the least possible time. So you don't have a lot of time to explain, you know, this person was the face of uh, Trump lawsuits against the 2020 election. You're going to say this person lied about the 2020 election and they continue to lie to this day. Something like that, because you need to get the message across. You only have a, a short time. And when, that's when you finally get somebody, you know, you're in front of somebody now and they're paying somewhat attention, half attention maybe. You've got that one opportunity maybe to get through to them. And so you're going to have to do it in, in as efficient a way as possible. Yeah, for sure. How can voters know what to trust and what to question in the ads that they see? I think the the good advice on that is to question everything you see in a political ad. Those ads are not designed with truth in mind. They have no uh, particular standards or even caring about whether or not they're true or false. They're meant to persuade. And a lot of persuasive communication is going to cherry pick facts and assemble them in such a way as to persuade, but not in such a way as to necessarily be true. Now, when we write news stories, when we do reports on television, the number one value is that these things be true, they be accurate, and that the facts are presented fairly and in context. The ads have no such standards mm, and no such Context rules. especially. Context especially is true. Uh, there was a fact check that we did on a Catherine Cortez Masto ad uh, about an Adam Laxalt quote that had been taken out of context and that was, was meant to apply to one thing. It, she uh, kind of took liberties and made it apply more broadly than he originally intended. And so our fact check called him out on that. And so things like that will happen. So you've got to be skeptical of everything you see. And typically you can look to media, newspapers, television websites for context and for whether or not these ads are true. And uh, usually what you will find if you begin to research an issue, you know, the ads, sometimes they'll have little credits, you know, such and thus happened. And they'll say review journal, August 12th, 2022. And so you go back and read the original story and it won't quite match up. You can see how they got there, but it won't quite match up. And that's something you have to be very aware of. Now I'm speaking of somebody like myself that would go and try to, you know, get to the bottom of this. Most voters are not going to take the time to do that. You know, they're either going to assume it's true uh, because they like the person who is airing the ad or they're going to assume it's false because they don't like the person who's there in the ad. And then uh, uh, that's the end of it. You know, they're not going to go any further than that. Um, so for those few voters who decide to do some research, you know, you will almost always find there's more to the story than you have been told so far. Mm, so do your research or at least kind of look look further into each candidate. And, Absolutely. And don't take the ads at face value. They're here to sell. <laughs> there's an old rule in politics. If you're explaining, you're losing. And so you have to always be on the attack and not explaining. If you're explaining your own point or if you're explaining to get out of a charge from the other side, you're losing that race. You're losing that argument. Mm. And so, yeah, I think the I think the negative ads are, are, are here to stay. All right. Well, here we go. November is coming. <laughs> 
Well, Steve Sibelius, thank you so much for joining me on CityCast Las Vegas, and we hope to talk to you again soon. Absolutely. I'm glad to do it. Okay, let's get into some news. Mailbox break-ins are on the rise, especially large group boxes. Metro says the thieves seem to be after credit card information and mail-in ballots. Headlines last week talked about a brain-eating amoeba in Lake Mead, responsible for the death of a young boy. It's a pretty rare infection. In the past 60 years, the CDC has only tallied 150 deaths from it. That's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. What's something you've questioned in a political ad from Nevada? Let us know on Twitter, at CityCastVegas. You can support us by telling a friend, giving us some stars, and leaving a review. Don't forget to also subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Talk soon. And I want to say happy birthday to my spouse. Happy birthday, AJ. Bah, 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 bah.